Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. thank you for the opportunity you've given us again to praise your name, to sing songs of worship to you. Father, we're just um, humbled now by the opportunity that you've given us to study your word, Father, to hear truth, to know truth, Father. I pray you would just speak directly to our hearts. I pray that we would just understand what we're reading. I pray we'd be challenged by this truth. And Father, I pray that we would be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles and open to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We are continuing our study this morning in our sermon series that we've entitled Tension, Faith versus Culture. And we're examining kind of the difficult topics of the world. We're examining topics that we struggle with, things that we're kind of unsure about how we should respond things that we're not quite certain about how we need to live and how we need to act. And Jay, I'm going to ask you, is this the right light color on me right now? I feel real blue. Do I come across blue to you? Like, oh. Purple? I'm okay with it if y'all are. It just looks different to me. So, oh, I think Juana's going to fix it for me. I'm, just, I'm looking at my notes. It's a little hard for me to see, so they're going to get that fixed. Okay. So, tension, faith versus culture. It's a struggle through the questions of life, like all the things that we deal with, all the questions that we have, the different sorts of issues that we're struggling with. I look good in any light, right? Somebody tell my wife that, right? She doesn't believe it. Okay. Last week, we studied and talked about the Christian heritage of America and all that America was going through and how we got such a a background of Christianity that we're unaware of and the monuments in Washington. A lot of great conversations with people over the last week about that. That was interesting to me. I I hope you got a lot out of that. Next week, we're going to talk about the topic, is Jesus the only way? Because there are a lot of people that say there are other ways to heaven. We're going to explore what the Bible says about that. But today is, is kind of a difficult topic. Today is a a difficult uh, topic because a lot of people feel real strongly about this and have dealt with this either personally or within their family. Today I want to think about the issue of abortion. Now if you guys have been following the Supreme Court uh, hearing with Brett Kavanaugh, he's the guy they're trying to nominate to be on the Supreme Court and the kind of the confirmation hearings, we all knew they were going to be nasty like nobody thought going into it it was going to be peaceful and they're all going to get along and hug and be happy we knew it was going to kind of be a, a fight to the end, and it's already shaping up to be that. And there, there are a lot of issues they're going to talk about. There's a lot of things they're going to deal with, a lot of things that they're going to ask him, and a lot of things they're going to go through. But, but make no mistake, I want you to hear this very clearly. Make no mistake. The issue at the heart of this confirmation is abortion. Are you aware of that? Very clearly the issue. And, and they're going to hide it in a lot of different ways, and they're going to say it in a lot of different ways. But that bottom line is... The people that are pro-life believe if Kavanaugh is confirmed, Roe versus Wade might be overturned. The other side hopes to defeat him, so Roe versus Wade will stay intact. 
This has become a hot-button issue in our country. This has become a very political issue. I don't want to scare you or or, kind of mislead you because this is not a political sermon. Because frankly, and I'm saying this from the bottom of my heart, I really don't care what a politician says about it. I don't really care what one political party says versus another. I don't even really care what science says, although there's some very interesting science I want you to see this morning. What I really care about is how the Bible answers this question. And as believers, guys, we got to be serious about our faith and serious about understanding how Scripture teaches. So we're going to jump into Psalm 139. Before I do that, though, I want to give you what I think are kind of some startling statistics. Some of you guys may already be aware of these or have heard them. I want you to hear these numbers uh, to help you understand kind of what we're dealing with. Since 1973, which is Roe versus Wade, abortion has been legalized in America. Since that time, depending on what numbers you look at, somewhere between 45 and 60 million babies have been aborted. Let me say that again. Since 1973, somewhere between 45 and 60 million babies have been aborted. That averages out to about 3,000 per day. That means that over the course of this one service, 125 babies statistically will be aborted. 8.30 service, 125 babies. 9.45 service, another 125. 11 o'clock, another 125. Your lunch break, another 125. On and on and on the list goes. Thousands upon thousands upon millions upon millions. And the sad statistic is our numbers pale in comparison to worldwide numbers. Worldwide, it's estimated, and get this, this, is, this, this boggles my mind, it's estimated worldwide that 125,000 babies are aborted a day. 125,000 babies per day. You know, those of you that appreciate history and have studied maybe the last century, especially Hitler, Stalin, First World War, Second World War, the Holocaust that we went through in the 20th century, those numbers pale in comparison to the number of babies we're aborting year after year after year. One writer said it like this, and I think he hit the nail on the head. He said, some of us are guilty, most are indifferent. So I want to think this morning as a believer how we should think about this issue. And I think Psalm 139 is going to give us what I think is a fascinating look into the idea of the unborn. So Psalm chapter 139, beginning of verse 1, we have it on the screen as well. The first probably 12 verses I want you to notice are about how the Lord sees everything. He sees and knows and understands all. And then he's going to make a very interesting jump in verse 13. Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea... Even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. 
The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Now, so we're seeing in this psalm, God sees, he knows, he understands, he's in control. There's no escaping from the Lord. He's going to make an interesting jump now to verse 13 to the unborn. Look at what he says. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. Now I want to stop there this morning and I really want to take a kind of a detailed look at verses 13 through 16 and pull some truth out about the unborn. Here's the first thing I want you to see. Truth number one, we have it on the screen for you. An unborn child is not a blob of tissue. An unborn child is not just a blob of tissue. Now, the question that's been debated now, I guess, since 1973 and probably before that and will continue to be debated in our current society is this. Very simply, the question is posed, when does life begin? Now, those that favor abortion rights would say life begins at birth. When the baby is born and can breathe on its own, life begins. There are actually people kind of on that side of the argument. These are a little more fringe, a little more radical. They've actually argued parents should have two or three or even a month after the birth of the baby to decide if they want to keep the baby. That's real. There are people that actually advocate that. But by and large, the kind of pro-abortion, pro-choice side would say life begins at birth. Now, the other side of the argument, kind of the the pro-life argument, the people that are opposed to abortion, would say life begins far earlier than that. In fact, there are some quotes I want you to hear this morning. According to the American College of Pediatricians, they wrote this March of last year. They say the predominance of human biological research confirms that human life begins at conception. And then they go through this whole long list of why that's the case. The Department of Health and Human Services defines life as beginning at conception. There are very passionate people on both sides of the argument that make uh, cases they think are true based on science and truth and whatever else they want to bring in medical type stuff. But I want you to notice what Scripture says because verse 16 to me is this fascinating look into understanding why this is important for us. Pull verse 16 up if you would for me, please. I want you to notice a couple of things about this verse. They're kind of two parts that are... Both fascinating to me. The first one is, the Lord says, or the writer says, your eyes saw my unformed substance, right? So the writer of Psalm 139 is saying to the Lord, listen, you saw my unformed substance. That's the only place in the scripture where that phrase, unformed substance, is used. It's the only time. And so what we would acknowledge in this scripture is the writer is saying to us, listen, there is a moment in the creation and the birth of a child, the development of the child, where the baby is unformed, right? And we would understand and agree with that. There's a moment, and I'm going to show some science here in just a minute, where there's really just kind of a ball of cells and DNA. No heart, no eyes, no arms, no nothing, right? Just a ball of cells and DNA. It's, in the words of the psalmist, an unformed substance, right? So let's make that jump now and compare it to the second half of verse 16, right? Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Now watch this. In your book were written, every one of them, 
the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. You see what the writer's doing here? Do you see the connection here? Right, the writer's saying, listen, there's a moment when, when the body is unformed. It's just cells. It's just DNA. There's no formation of anything. And yet in those very moments, God has already planned out the life of that child for the rest of eternity. You understand what he's saying here? Listen, before the baby's form, before there's eyes, before there's a heart, before there's arms, before anything was actually formed, God has already seen your days and numbered them, even though none of them have been created yet. Now, this is a fascinating understanding because it tells us a lot about what we ought to see and what we ought to understand. Regardless of what science may say is when life begins, regardless of what medicine may say, regardless of what politicians say, the Scripture tells us that even while a baby is unformed, God already has a plan for that child. You see that? God's already seen the days. God's already numbered the days. Even before the days were formed, God's got a plan. And so I thought, you know, it would be interesting to kind of understand this medically, right? What, what does this mean? What sort of stages of development do we see medically? This is fascinating. Those of you that, that have children probably have seen this before. I remember when Amy was pregnant with our children, it just was incredible to me to see how her body changed and how the, the baby, just as you study this, was kind of being formed and shaped. But at one week, now one week after conception, one week, it's a ball of cells. It's got a, a full set of DNA that will... That will basically create and form that child into everything God wants it to be one week. Two weeks, the ball of cells become an embryo. It's about the size of a poppy seed. Over the next six weeks, all of the baby's organs will develop and some will begin to function. As early as three weeks, now 21 days, there's a heartbeat. The body is the size of a sesame seed. Can you believe that? A sesame seed with a heartbeat, and yet God says, I've already got a plan. <laughs> I already know the days. I already know who this kid's going to become. I know what he's going to do. I know he's going to see the beginning from the end. At four weeks, facial features. Four weeks. Just to be clear, four weeks after conception, not birth. Four weeks, eyes, nostrils are beginning to form. Little buds appear where arms and legs will develop. Six weeks. Arms and legs are growing. Baby has fingers as well as a nose and an upper lip. He's about five-eighths of an inch long and weighs four hundredths of an ounce. Seven weeks, eyes have developed. Eyelids are fused shut, can't open his eyes yet, but the eyes have developed. Nine weeks, the baby is almost fully formed, kicking, stretching, even hiccuping as the diaphragm develops Ten weeks, the baby's reflexes kick in. Fingers are moving, eyes open and close, toes curl, mouth begins to make a, a sucking movement, all within ten weeks. It's, it's just incredible how the Lord develops and shapes and molds and forms this baby. Not just a, a, an empty blob of flesh. Pull point number one back up, please. Not just an empty blob of tissue or flesh, but an actual living organism that God has created with purpose. Now, that comes out a little more in the Scripture. I want you to see it again. Look at verse 13. I want you to notice all the words that point to design and purpose. Beginning in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. Right? No accident here. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. 
When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Here's the second truth I want you to see this morning. Number two, an unborn child has value and purpose because that baby is formed by the Lord in his image. An unborn child has value and purpose because that baby is formed by the Lord in his image. It's amazing to me in Psalm 39, all the words that point to this idea of design, all this, the words that point to the idea that there is purpose, words like formed, knitted, woven, made. There's this real clear picture, this real clear indication that this is not some accidental thing that happens, but that God is at work literally in the womb forming this child. The Bible says God formed us, God made us. Jeremiah 1.5 As the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah, he says these words, Before I formed you in the womb, there's that idea again, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God says, listen, even before you were formed, Jeremiah, before you were born, before anything happened, I knew you. I'd already consecrated you. I already had a plan for you. I already knew exactly how your life was going to play out. Even as you were this unformed tissue in your mother's womb, even before you were created, I knew you and I formed you and I loved you and I shaped you and I had a plan for you. Right At at the heart of of this debate, in, in my opinion, is the idea of the image of God versus the image of the world. We learned a couple weeks ago when I did gender dysphoria, the idea of being created in the image of God. And we talked about and looked back in Genesis how we have value simply because we're created in God's image. The problem is for far too many of us, we find value in the things of the world. And so we need certain things to make us feel better about ourselves. We need certain things in our life to, to bring us what we think are valuable things or to bring us value in our life, job, money, status, Uh, hair, whatever, clothing. We do all sorts of things to make us feel valuable. Right? How many, we got any NFL fans in here first week of the season? Anybody care about the NFL anymore? You're like, eh. I mean, I kind of used to, but I don't know anymore. Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, you know Aaron Rodgers? Right? He's just signed a a contract. I want to read the numbers so I don't mess them up. I thought this was fascinating. He signed a four-year, $134 million contract extension. Now, y'all gave the same reaction as 930. This is the world we live in. You're like, yeah, I guess, whatever, 134 million. Like, it's pocket change, right? We're so used to these big numbers. 134 million, I'm like, yeah, okay, I guess, whatever, 134 million. Here's the amazing part to me, right? Part of this signing deal, uh, the the contract they signed, there's some guaranteed money. So in sports, you know, you blow out your knee, you don't get paid unless the money's guaranteed, right? And then you get it no matter what. Aaron Rodgers is going to get $80 million guaranteed, 67 million they'll literally give him by the end of this calendar year, another 13 before next year's season starts. He's going to make 80 million dollars guaranteed money between now and the beginning of next season. That means if Aaron Rodgers for the next four years throws three interceptions a game, he's still making 80 million dollars. Isn't that amazing? If he fumbles the ball 10 times a game, he's still going to make $80 million. Now we would think that's an incredible contract, and I guess good for him, he's doing well. It's amazing to me that we're going to give a guy $134 million because he can throw a ball well. It's interesting, isn't it? When you think about teachers and police officers and first responders and people in the military, and you know, you kind of, it's a little skewed, right? But that's a whole other topic, a whole other sermon. What the world does is they look at Aaron Rodgers and they say, he's got great value. 
uh, monetarily, he's set for life, right? He's rich, and we see value in those things. What we need to understand is value doesn't come from the things of the world. Value comes from the things of Christ, and that's hard for us to see. That's a hard distinction for us to make. And especially if you're younger and you, you take pride in certain things that, that are important to you that may not last, decisions you make based on what the world thinks and not what maybe the Lord thinks. We live in this world where things are valued that are not necessarily important, right? We need to understand one of the foundational principles of kind of being pro-life is that even that unformed substance in the womb is valuable to the Lord because it's created in his image. Okay, let's continue. We need to finish this thing up. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Verse 14 is really important here. I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Here's the third truth I want you to see in one that I think that kind of the abortion side of the aisle misses far too often. Number three, an unborn child is a gift from God that should be praised. An unborn child is a gift from God that should be praised. Pull up verse 14 again. I want you to see it. Notice what the psalmist says here. I praise you because you've given me a wonderful job and a lot of money. We do that, don't we? I praise you because I got that promotion that I've been praying about. I praise you because I got a really nice house, really nice car. You fill in the blank. We all do that. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with a good job, nothing wrong with a nice house. That's not what the scripture says. We praise the Lord. Why? Because we're fearfully and wonderfully made. There's absolute value in us, created within us, because we're created in the image of God, right? We're created wonderfully and fearfully. That's what the Bible says in verse 14. So that leads us to praise the Lord. Here's the problem. The people that are kind of on the abortion side of the aisle, basically, and I'm, I'm kind of generalizing and maybe even putting words in their mouth, but I think I can do it with certainty based on some of the numbers I'm going to give you here in just a second. Those people would say the baby in that moment to them is not something to be praised. Instead, it's a nuisance. It's just a nuisance to me. I, I, I can't have it. I, I don't want it. It's not something I'm very interested in. One of the things I've been doing in this sermon series is kind of reading both sides of the argument. I don't want to be the guy or the pastor that just reads the Christian view and doesn't really think about the other view. So I read several articles this week, listened to some people talk, and one of the articles I read was in a, a, a real popular magazine, but a, a very secular magazine, and they were interviewing ladies, women, that claimed to be believers, and maybe they were, I don't know these women, but that had had abortions. And I thought it was just very interesting to kind of hear their perspective. And I just thought I'd read a couple of the quotes to you because it's just fascinating, the irony, especially in these quotes. Here's what one of the ladies said. She said, eventually I told a friend. Now remember, this woman is speaking from the perspective of a mother who's pregnant, who doesn't want the baby, who's scared. That's very real, by the way. The, the fear, the uncertainty, not sure what to do, feeling alone, those are very real. This is spoken by this woman. Here's what she said. Eventually I told a friend... And she reminded me that God is always on the side of the vulnerable of those in trouble. Now, the woman here is looking and seeing herself as the one who is vulnerable and in trouble. You see that? What's the irony there? Who's looking for the vulnerability of the baby? I thought, does she, like, I just, just, I'm screaming at the paper as I'm reading it, thinking, can you not see? How clear, when you talk about someone that's vulnerable in trouble, what about the baby living inside you? And this woman can't see this. Another lady said who was in ministry and was a single lady. She said, I felt no doubt that I was being more faithful in my walk with God by ending the pregnancy than I would have been if I'd gone on with the pregnancy. She said, having a baby at this point would have meant turning away from my call to ministry. I thought that was very interesting. 
See, here's what so many people on that side think. They, they see the baby as something that's unwanted, unnecessary, a nuisance. Not something to be praised, right? That's the, the Christian worldview. The biblical worldview is we're going to praise the Lord. The earthly, worldly view is this is a nuisance to me. I don't want it. I hear the stats, and these are not my opinions. These are not my numbers. You can look these up if you don't believe me. When a woman has abortion, they have to give kind of a reason. Why are you doing this? Now, we typically hear from the abortion side that this is really about rape or incest or the life of the mother. You hear that a lot, right? That's kind of the, 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 the straw man they put up to make this defense. Here are the actual numbers. If you add up rape, incest, physical life of the mother, physical health of the mother, those comprise of all the abortions 1.7%. 1.7%. You take a pie, cut into 100 pieces, less than two pieces are about these issues. 98.3. Now, these are the words of the women that have had abortions. This is not my opinion. These are the words of the women that have had these abortions. 98.3% fall into these categories. I'm too young. I'm immature. I'm not ready for responsibility. Economic issues. I don't want to have that lifestyle. I'm a single mother. I'm in a poor relationship. I already have enough children already. Like 98.3% say it's not about science, it's not about what the Bible says, it's not even about the health of the mother or the child or any of those other things, it's simply about convenience. Do you understand that? 98.3% say, I just really don't want to have a baby. I'm not going to praise the Lord for something he's done to me. I'm going to call this a nuisance and I'm going to rid myself of it. The problem is that's not what the scripture says. And as believers, we, we need a biblical worldview. We don't need a worldly worldview. We need to understand this is something we see as a gift, something to be praised, something we understand God knitted together with purpose and with plan. I had the opportunity last time I was in Guatemala to go to a uh, kind of a weaving shop. And y'all are going to laugh at me. Every service up to this point has laughed at me because I didn't know something or it was kind of interesting to me. They started with cotton, right? And they, took, they had this, these big piles of cotton. And you go and you watch the demonstration. They show you how they make these things. And they take this piece of cotton. And some of y'all may know this. Some of you may not. But they took this piece of cotton. And they just literally started pulling on it. And like a string came out. Did y'all know that it would do that? Some of y'all are like, uh. So y'all, a lot of y'all didn't know. But you're acting like you did. You're like, sure. I didn't know that. It was, it was almost like I was watching a magic trick. Like they took a bunch of string and tucked it inside the cotton. And they went, woo. And there's the string. It just came. I'd never seen that. That was brand new to me. Fascinating. I did it myself and couldn't make it work. And then they laughed at me down there as well. So people on multiple continents have laughed at me. But they pulled this string out. And then they would take the string and they would dye it all sorts of different colors. Put it on these looms. Begin to weave it. And hours and hours and really many, many days later, they produce these incredibly beautiful garments. Colorful and nice and, and just beautiful garments that you could purchase, rugs, hats, all sorts of things. It started with what to me was an insignificant little piece of cotton. I never saw the value in that cotton. Like to me, if I'd seen that cotton, I would have thought, you know, whatever, just put it in a pillow somewhere, throw it in the trash, it's no good to anybody. But the person who sees the value of that cotton, beautiful things can occur. And if we're not seeing the value in human life, we're missing the truth of Scripture. If we're not seeing this as something glorious and a gift from God and, and something to be praised, we're, we're missing the truth. Now, I want to say something to you, and I want to do it with all the love in my heart, and I hope you receive this, but I, I just need you to hear this. I don't want there to be any doubt, and I'm saying it because it's just completely 
lines up with the truth of the Bible. Abortion is a sin. So it's a taking of another life. It's sinful. One writer said it like this. At stake is the fact that the American legal regime has in place legal mechanisms that allow the targeted extermination of a class of vulnerable people. That's the world we live in. And you need to understand as a, as a, as a Bible-thinking Christian, abortion is wrong. It's a sin. But I don't want to end with that idea because there's more to the story. I want to speak to two different groups before I finish this one. I don't know if I'm talking to you or not. I don't know if I am. If I'm not, you pray for the people that I'm talking to. The first group is the person, the, the, the woman that would consider or is considering an abortion. Maybe that's somebody in this room. Maybe you know somebody who's going through that. I want to speak to you first. There are three things I want you to see, three things I want you to hear this morning. Number one, I implore you, I encourage you, I beg of you to seek godly counsel. Find someone you can walk through this with. Statistically, a lot of these women that go through this and make the decision feel alone. They feel like nobody's there to help them. Nobody's there to help them make decisions and to understand. Seek godly guidance. In one of the statistics, in one of the studies I read, women that attended their local church at least once a month at the time of their abortion, of those women, 52% said the local church had no influence on her decision. None. I would, I would love to talk to you. If you don't feel comfortable talking to me, I will put you in touch with someone that can walk through this with you. Seek godly guidance. Here's the second thing I'd like you to do. Consider adoption. <laughs> there are lots and lots and lots of families that would love your child. There are people that pray for children and God never grants that. They would love to take your child. I promise you, there's no shortage of people that will take your child. Consider adoption. And the third thing I would just implore you to do is just to choose life. I mean, God's got a plan. We saw it scripturally. It's just real clear. The, the world may tell you something. Science may tell you something. Your friend may tell you something else. God's word is very clear. Choose life. God has a plan. And then the second group of people, and this may be the most difficult group and the, and the most difficult thing to think through, but I want to speak just for a moment to the women that have had an abortion. I have no idea who you are. It may not be anybody in this room. It may be a lot in this room. I don't know, but I want you to understand something. You need to hear this from the very truths of the gospel, there is forgiveness in Christ for everything you've ever done. Absolute forgiveness. It's not true that this is an unforgivable sin. That's a lie. It's not true that God can't still use you. That's a lie. It's not true that there's not redemption through this. That's an absolute lie. God covers all sins through the death of Christ. That's the whole point. I think about David and all that David did in the Old Testament and all the struggles that David had and, and how he lied and committed adultery and then he killed this man and, and all the struggles and all the difficulties and all the things that he's a wretched man by our standards. And the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. Why? Wow, because God forgives. Isaiah 53, 5. Speaking of Christ, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. There is absolute forgiveness. Here's the second thing you need to hear if you've been through this before. Something else you need to be doing. You ought to be praying. Because in the hour we've been sitting in here, 125 women have decided to abort their baby. They need prayer. You may not know them. You may not have met them. You don't know the story. You don't know any of the background. But you know they're out there struggling. It's a very real struggle. It's a very difficult thing. They're scared. They're hurting. They're alone. They need people on their knees praying for them. 
calling out to Christ that the Lord would send someone their way to help them, to give them a peace, and to give them understanding. And then the third thing, and this may be difficult for you to do, but try to help somebody in, in need. I just think about all the women that have had abortions, that feel alone and isolated. If someone could have walked beside them and given them good advice, if someone could have loved them in the name of Christ, how different would those decisions have been? If you're saying, I want, I want somewhere to plug into, First Choice Women's Center here in LaGrange would love to talk to you, I promise. If you want to volunteer and kind of be part of that solution, they would love to talk to you. They'd love to hear from you. You can talk to me and I'll give you the information and you can get them online. Figure out a way to help someone in need. I believe history will show, and this may be years and decades and even centuries from now, I believe history will show this is the greatest holocaust our world has ever known. We need to stand up and be counted. We need to stand up and make a difference. We need to be a voice for the voiceless, a defender of the defenseless. We need to understand the truth of Scripture, and we need to be willing to stand upon it regardless of what our cost for the honor and the glory of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for the understanding of Psalm 139. Father, it's just really clear to us when we take the time to study through it, to delve into the truth of what you show us. It's just real clear, Father. You have a plan for the unformed. Father, for the babies that have yet been born, it's just real clear, Father. I pray you would help us to understand that from a biblical perspective, have a biblical worldview, Father to stand on the truth of Scripture, to stand up and make a difference in this world, to help those that need help, to pray for those that are struggling with this. And then, Father, I pray specifically for those ladies that are considering or would consider. Father, just open their eyes to this truth. Through the power of the Spirit, may they sense the truth and the beauty of who you are in their lives. And then, Lord, for the woman that's had the abortion, Lord, just help her to come to grips with the truth that you offer forgiveness. This is not an unforgivable sin, Father. As difficult as it is, as difficult as it may be, Father, there is hope in Christ. You cover the blood of all sins. Just open up the eyes of the person or even the couple that is struggling with that idea from the past. Help them know, Father, there is a plan and you can redeem this for your purposes. Let beautiful, amazing things happen through these stories. And we'll praise your name for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. Altar's open. I'll be happy to speak to you. You come and respond as we sing together this morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.